everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and before we get started, I want to do just a quick bit of housekeeping. I am going to be gone next week. I know, I know. Don't cry too hard for me, but uh, I'm traveling for work. I'm gone for the week, so I won't be recording any podcast while I'm out, but rest assured, I will be recording a bunch of makeup episodes, and that's because the uh, the Midtown Comics, my Midtown Comics shipment is coming this weekend, uh, annoyingly enough, and so it's confirmed. I'm literally only getting one month, one week of the pr- the prior month when it's being shipped, which is so annoying. But regardless, so I'll have a bunch of comics to review there, including Marvel 1000, which I'm really looking forward to, and then as well, I'll be reading all of the new Marvel Unlimited comics coming out on Monday. I'll just put up a review for them when I get back home, and also I- I'm probably watching a lot of movies while I'm gone, uh, just uh, in my hotel room whatnot, so I'll probably have a ton of reviews for that as well. And then also, obviously, the comics that are coming out next Wednesday. It's also, it's actually a light week, the only comics, actually, it's not a light week. I think three comics are coming out next week, I believe. It is uh, House of X 5, and then Guardians of the Galaxy 9, and Absolute Carnage 3. So those will be the three ones I'll review, but again, I'll do all of that when I'm back. So apologies for that break. I'm still trying to decide if I'm going to make maybe like a bonus episode or two to air while I'm traveling, uh, just for your guys' enjoyment, if that's something that you're interested in. So um, with that said, let's dive right in. So again, happy Wednesday, guys. We, uh, we've got some brand new comics this week, and boy, were they good. So um, this week, uh, so you guys are all aware the comics that came out for marvel were star wars age of the resistance supreme leader snoke marvel tales black panther one or one it's a it's a one shot Uh, guardians of the galaxy the prodigal son moon knight annual absolute carnage symbiote of vengeance uh true believers hulk gray hulk returns true believers hulk mindless hulk and i'm getting these all from the uh, marvel website uh number one i was actually really torn when i went to my comic shop to pick up uh, my comics they had added king thor to my pull list i specifically asked them not to add it to my pull list but they didn't listen and uh, because I was ordering it from Midtown, so I had to tell him no, but part of me really wanted to get it because I'm really excited to read that. But rest assured, I'll be reviewing it next month when I get my Midtown shipment because, again, reasons. I, I'm really annoyed with Midtown giving me this. Uh, giving me this. But uh, Age of Conan, Valeria, issue number two. Punisher Kill Crew, issue number two. Gwenpool Strikes Back, issue number two. Absolute Carnage versus Deadpool, issue number two. And then we've got Invisible Woman, issue number three. Immortal Hulk, director's cut of issue number three. Loki, issue three. Swordmaster, issue three. And I'm noticing now, too, Marvel, I guess, sorts their new releases by their issue number. Powers of X, or Powers of Ten, issue four. Silver Surfer Black, issue four. Black Cat, issue four. League of Legends Lux, issue five. Invaders, nine. Miles Morales, Spider-Man, ten. Ironheart, ten. Captain Marvel, ten. Daredevil, eleven. Venom, eighteen. Doctor Strange, nineteen. The Amazing Spider-Man issue 29 and The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl issue 48. Uh, I do want to tell you guys another bit of exciting news as well. I actually found a really good deal on eBay for Captain Marvel issue number 8. Both the variant cover, which I was dying to get, and uh, the main cover. 
And uh, so those are in the mail along with, uh, I should be getting Captain Marvel issue number nine in this Midtown list or pile of comics. And then I also ordered issue 10 as well because for some reason I had only I had ordered on Midtown issue nine and issue eleven, uh, so just so you guys are aware, I am f- going full on Captain Marvel now because the new uh, the new status quo or whatever it is when it comes out in November for on issue twelve looks really cool. So I'm just going to be subscribing to Captain Marvel through Midtown. So I will be reviewing the Captain Marvel issues as they come out. So that's a bit of exciting news. Uh, but we're going to jump right into these three comics, and so I'm going to start with. Uh, let's see. I'm actually. I'm going to start with Silver Surfer Black. So uh, I'll tell you this much: all three of these comics were phenomenal. I was. I'm just consider, and that's why I pull these immediately from the stores. Is because I just I have to read these immediately, uh, just because they're so good. And I, as you can see, and as I've described, that's mostly because of Donny Cates and the art team that he chooses with these books that he's written. And so I'll say that that all three of these issues were fantastic. Highly recommend you picking them up, especially Powers of 10, Issue 4. And if you're following Absolute Carnage, I would really pick up this Issue 18 of Venom because I think there's going to be some stuff in here that is going to play out in a big way going forward. So with that said, the rest of this uh, discussion is going to go full spoilers for all three of these issues. And I was thinking to myself in the car as I was driving home, I was like, okay, this is a, uh, this is, you know, it's a comics discussion. But for me, at least the way that I've been doing it, it's more of a comics analyzation because I go panel by panel while I'm talking. But uh, so let's dive in. Silver Surfer Black, issue number four of five. This one's titled Black by Donnie Cates and Trad Moore with colors by Dave Stewart and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Like I said, guys, Clayton only picks the best things to work on and uh, none more apparent than this one. So if you guys remember, last issue, Silver Surfer had uh, dove into the core of Ego, the living planet, because he said that he had a bug in his system. He had a bug in his butt. And uh, so he found out that what that was was the incubator, Lifebringer 1, the incubator of Galactus. And uh, so, as you can probably surmise, this is at the beginning of time, so it's right when Galen came back from his prior un- or his prior universe, and in this universe becomes Galactus. If I was Silver Surfer, I might be uh, having some tendencies on this one going, huh, I've got, I've got a, essentially a square box that my master, my future master is in. Maybe I'll, I'll just kill him. And that's what happens. Silver Surfer uh, essentially carries the uh this box and he's about to throw it into the heart of a dying star or just into a like a star uh because he doesn't want to uh deal with galactus anymore and honestly like who can blame him he they do some flashbacks galactus has essentially ruined silver surfer's life but what silver surfer's forgetting is he's actually brought a lot of good to his life as well to noran's life through the friendships that he's made and all that and this is me speaking off book he doesn't really talk about that in here but right as silver surfer is uh going to throw it into this uh white dwarf star uh, somebody stops him, and who else? Who who else but Uatu uh, the Watcher stops him? And uh, so great. I mean, the guys. I I know I've said this before, and it's funny too because I I feel like I always say the phrase. I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. You can clearly tell that when I say that, it it means you need to be reading this book. Um, Trad Moore's art 
is just out of this world. It's insane in all the best ways. It's this really fluid, wild art, and uh, none so more apparent than in this series. There is a double a double page spread, and all it has in terms of a text box is just he is there, is all it says. But it's a double page spread of Silver Surfer looking up at a giant Galactus, and it's just it's. It's trippy. It's out of this world, out of my mind sort of stuff. But um, what's exciting to me is is Marvel seems to recognize that as well because I think in the solicitations for November, the Silver Surfer Black Treasury Edition is what's being released as in like an oversized hardcover, no doubt to showcase Trad's art because it's just that good. So uh, Uatu comes and uh, Silver Surfer's like, what are you doing here? And he says, observing. And then he says, stopping you. And it's like, uh uh-oh, and he says, well, stop me. Aren't you a watcher? You're not bound to interfere. And he says, the watchers have decreed that Galactus shall live. There must always be a balance. The light, the dark, your presence here is the interference, not mine. And, of course, you know, Silver Surfer is like, oh, man, this is crazy. Like, he's going to be killing billions of people. And this whole time, like I said, Traj is just drawing Uatu with this giant, like, he's got fire coming out of his eyes, like, blinding light. And, uh basically explains to him like as much as anyone would in a type of story like this like killing him is not going to change anything like you can't kill the dark with more dark you can only do it with the light and that's kind of what we know about him in this and uh he says but he says you know you uh, you ought to says you're facing you're going to be facing this growing threat of null and um he says i will not interfere but if i may perhaps you could seek counsel from someone who has survived the end of everything once before and silver server says oh yeah right like galactus because he you know he just died from his prior universe so he kind of mentally jumps into the incubator and just that scene i mean it looks like silver surfer's face is melting off and then that's when you get the double page spread of galactus and it's just like holy cow and then you get a second double page spread of silver surfer fighting galactus and this is all in his head but he's like galactus is coming at him as an eagle and silver surfer is a serpent and then uh, galactus turns into a um an octopus like a squid and silver surfer turns into a dolphin he then turns into a stag silver surfer turns into a wolf like oh just that how you how are you not already buying this but then at that point he actually gets to speak to gallon to pre-galactus just as a human who doesn't know who he is and he says why do you attack me traveler who are you and he's like i was i'm gonna kill i was planning to kill you i'm for you know i'm trying to stop another horror from coming and he's like well what am i what am I supposed to become? Shouldn't I know my crimes before I'm executed for them? And Silver Surfer says, you're going to become death, the destroyer of worlds. And he says, uh, you feast, you become the destroyer of worlds. You feast upon them in the name of some unseen, unseen scale you claim to balance. And he says, huh, I see. Well, if I may, is that not also your excuse? He says, uh, what? And he's like, you hope to snuff my life out in order to prevent some sort of other, what did you call it, horror? You would kill the light to beat the dark. Are you not also balancing the fates with death? And he says, I've felt it. Like, I I get it. These powers of mine, they're growing. I'm starting. And he got one whole panel dedicated to him saying, hungry. I'm getting hungry. And uh, he says, no, no, no. Like, you can't defeat the dark with dark. You you can defeat it with light. And, uh, and at that point, he, he throws the, uh, and I, you can tell that he's kind of pissed about doing it, but he, he saves Galactus, stops it from going into the heart of the star, 
and then just uh, uses ego to connect with every living thing on earth. It says across the stars, life, all of it connected. I can feel them all. They sense the growing black as I do, and they are all so afraid. Tell them, ego. Tell them what I need from them. Tell them to seed their life into the abyss. Choke it with their light. Now, focus it, channel it, all of it into me. And so he's like gathering all of this light into him. And that's the end of it. He just says, I'm going to basically, I'm going to burn null. And the last splash page on here is him, you know, getting ready, but there's this giant shadow of a dragon. I, I, just the art alone is enough for a purchase in my eyes. But this story is so good, guys. It's so good. And now we've only got one issue left. And I'm really excited to discuss it when we do because, like I said, is that going to lead into what's going on? I saw a really interesting thing on uh, Marvel was releasing their new kind of the stuff that's going to be coming out in December. They kind of trickle it in throughout the month until the solicitations come out at the end. And so they were showing that uh, basically Guardians of the Galaxy issue 12 is supposed to have something big happen in it. And they said essentially everything's been leading to this. And it pointed out that uh, Silver Surfer Black, The Death of the Inhumans, uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider, like all of the things that Donny Cates has been writing is leading to something big in Guardians. And so that's why I'm really curious to see how this series wraps up because I honestly, I think I might even buy the Treasury Edition because I'm going to want to reread this and I want it to be on a giant format where I can really appreciate that art. Next up is Venom issue 18. Um, this is, this again, another phenomenal issue. Donny Cates writing with Eben Coelho and Arts, Rain, Burrito, and Color Arts, and lettered by who else but VC's Clayton Cowles. Like I said, guys, he picks his, uh, he picks his battles. And then I'm going to call out, too, great cover out by Kyle Holtz and Dan Brown. Kyle Holtz is just killing it. I, I've said that before. But where we're at in this one... If you guys remember as well, uh, it says with Venom away fighting Carnage, Dylan, his son, who he's told is just his brother, and ex-symbiote host Normie Osborne were left in the custody of the Maker, who is the ultimate version of Reed Richards. But they were soon attacked by four of Carnage's minions, the Life Foundation symbiotes Riot, Phage, Lasher, and Agony. Cornered and ready to fight for their lives, Dylan and Normie were suddenly saved by another symbiote named Sleeper. If you guys remember... Um, and I think I might have talked about it on the last issue. So Sleeper is the symbiote from the Venom First Host miniseries, which came out um, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. And it essentially was the, and he explains it. He says how he's, again, beautiful, beautiful art on here and some really great shots of Sleeper flying to the planet of the symbiotes. But it says, hello, Dylan. My name is Sleeper, seventh spawn of the one you call Venom. So this is essentially Venom's child. And so he ends up going to the planet of the symbiotes. He was searching for answers and realized that this place is like pure evil, essentially, and saw Null and was like, I got to get the heck out of here. He said, uh, I knew instinctually that I would be needed on Earth when the King of Black arrived, the King in Black arrived, and so I raced back. But he says, this was cool too. He says, he burned the connection away by secreting a powerful Badoon acid with my chemokinesis, my unique ability to produce chemicals from my form. So that alone makes him cool. But, uh, He's like, well, what? So you're my big brother's kid? What does that make us? Cousins? And he's like, no, no, no. I'm Venom's kid. Like, I'm not your child. And he's like, so what are you underneath? And he kind of takes it off, and it's the dead Cree 
uh, Telcar that was in there from the series. He's, he's since died, and he's just using him as a husk of a host. And he, oh, man, he says, he's got like a tendril coming out to Dylan. He says, though I wonder if I couldn't be of greater service with a new host. After all, we are stronger when we aren't alone. And it's like, oh, man, in, in the art alone, like these three panels, it shows the tendril slowly moving to Dylan. And at the same time, Dylan's, uh, his like sweat, his sweatshirt ties, the like, you know how there's the two ties on your sweatshirt that you can pull the, the ties. It's almost looks like a tendril as well. I wonder if that comes up. But at that point, he gets exploded because the maker uh, says, nope, no need to thank me. That was the last of them. And he's got all the symbiotes tied up now. And he's like, nope. So I'm going to kill all the symbiotes and then remove all of the codexes from these people. Logical, right? Logical. And that's funny because uh, the maker is technically a bad guy, but he's logically a good guy in this sense. Like he's cleaning things up. He's trying to save these people. And so Dylan's like, no, like I don't, I don't want that to happen. And Normie's like, please don't let him do that to me, Dylan. He's like, no, I won't. I promise. We need to, we need to figure out what's going on. He's like, what would Eddie do? He's like, oh, Eddie would do something stupid. So they grab a bunch of guns and they're like, he's like, what are you gonna? Maker's like, what are you gonna do? Kill me? And they're like, no, I'm just gonna distract you. And he blows open all of the symbiote glass things, and it's like, what are you doing, dude? Like we were gonna kill him, and guess what happens? All of the symbiotes merge with the maker. All four of those symbiotes, as we can see, it does not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sleeper symbiote does not. But all four of them merge into the maker. So you now have this giant symbiote who looks insane. It kind of reminds me of It Chapter 2 at the end. He's got these giant pincer claws and and crazy face and it made sense because his helmet was so weird that uh, his helmet looks like a kind of like a maggot now it's crazy and so they bust out and leave and then there's this there's this one panel that i know is is going to play into something but um the the symbiote is about to get dylan he's like get away from me and he's his eyes are like black they're like this gray black and his his sweatshirt ties are kind of moving up again but then bam 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 the symbiote gets hit and it's like what's going on and you see you know who's coming guys it says excuse me son mind if we cut in and it's a the final page is the splash page of wolverine spider-man captain america and thing coming to the rescue so like i said i was i was a little a little underwhelmed just because Donnie Cates on Twitter had said that this was going to be a really big issue, that something crazy was going to happen in this issue, and I can kind of see where the the tendrils are going in this, but I don't think it's this issue. I think it's going to be in the next one. I was under the impression that Sleeper would be bonding with Dylan. How cool would that be in terms of furthering the Venom mythos, that Venom's or Eddie Brock's son now becomes the next Venom, the Sleeper Venom? Uh, like, oh, that'd be so cool. So we'll see if that plays out in issue 19. Still another absolute carnage tie-in. But uh, it was great. This was just, it was a knockout issue. I love the art. I, Eben Coelho does such a good job. He's sort of the same as like, he's like a mix between Ryan Stegman and um, maybe like David Marquez. But it's it's such crisp, good art. I love it. I, and so I highly recommend that issue as well. And now we're going to move on to what I've been deeming every week, the main event, which is Powers of Ten, issue four of six. Um, just like all the other issues, guys. Holy crap. We open up on our first page. I fear our needs will far outlast our desires. We have many hard choices ahead of us, Professor Xavier. This issue is called Something Sinister. So first off, 
Um, like I said, as I was thinking earlier today, uh, Marvel has just been doing a really good job of characterizing their their characters, and I, I think it's just I've been reading comics for a long time and most recently like over the last few years i've really been reading heavily on marvel unlimited in terms of following the weekly comics that come out so i've been reading venom for a while i've been reading x-men for a while all these current issues and it just felt like all of the series were sort of floundering like it, it felt like they didn't know what they wanted to be like oh you got a you got a cool like five issue story to tell cool tell it about venom or cool tell it about the x-men whatever and it just felt it, it didn't feel lazy it just felt like we we're just getting more of the same and you start forgetting who these characters are and it just feels like recently and especially in 2019 uh, these comics have just been doing a great job of changing that. Where you've got Donny Cates revamping Venom. Venom is now like a huge, a huge player. Uh, same with like Cosmic Ghost Rider. The stuff that, and I'm just looking on this list of the new releases this week alone. Nick Spencer's take on Spider-Man is amazing. Daredevil with Chip Zdarsky. Mark Wade doing Doctor Strange has been great. Um, any others on here? I, oh, um, how about Al Ewing with Immortal Hulk? and Jason Aaron with Thor. Everyone's just sort of reinvigorating this, these characters, and Jonathan Hickman has been doing that exact same thing with the X-Men, and no more apparent than in this issue with Mr. Sinister, a character that I'm not a big fan of because he seems very bland to me, like, okay, he's not even really a mutant, he's just a geneticist, he clones people, that sort of stuff, and Hickman wrote Mr. Sinister so well in Secret Wars, and he wasn't in it very well, but they made him this sort of sassy guy, and uh, sort of like a little a little snarky, a little bit, he's, he was a, a spicy character for sure, very feisty, and he just elaborates on that in this issue so well, um, it was, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air even in this series, in that we've had a couple of issues now that have been very, very tragic issues of, you know, all the X-Men dying in the last issue. This issue is really funny. Like, it's a really good comedy issue. And uh, and that's in part because of how he writes uh, Mr. Sinister. So uh, it t starts off taking place in year one, the X-Zero. And uh, Professor Xavier and Magneto are going to Bar Sinister, which is like an island where Mr. Sinister and all of his clones are. And uh, just the... I mean, the interaction alone, and it's cool, actually, uh, Professor Xavier's in his wheelchair, but uh, they're, you know, they're like, oh, which, we, we need to see Nathaniel Essex, and he's like, which one? There are so many of us, and Magneto says, we'll settle for the, run, the one in charge, and then, uh, I mean, here, just this, uh, Sinister says, the one in charge, well, aren't you something? Yes, the outfit's ridiculous, but you do have an air about you, there's no denying that. Your friend, however... This just won't, and he's saying that about Magneto. He's basically, and you'll see later, he's like complimenting Magneto on his cape. But he's looking at Xavier. He says, "This just won't do. It will not play well at court. A sad little man and his sad peasant suit stuck in his sad little chair." And Magneto just slams him up against the wall, and he says, "Eric, we need this man." And Magneto says, "No, Charles. This man needs to decide if he wants to escort us inside or if he wants to continue thusly and suffer the consequences." Like, oh my God, the writing in here. But so, um, Sinister, they're basically trying to get Sinister to do something for them. They want them to, uh, he says, actually, it's our hope that we can help one another as we're aware of your ongoing endeavors in the area of genetics. And uh, Sinister says, and how would you know about that? And he says, oh, we have our ways. Well, honestly, I'm not surprised. Word is getting out. I do amazing work. And, 
It says, uh, we also know, Magneto says, we also know about the library you're building, your attempt at cataloging the world's DNA. Sinister says, don't judge. I can't be shamed into changing who I am. And uh, Xavier says, well, we don't want you to change. What we're suggesting is a slight deviation of focus. Continue with your broad indexing if you want, but we need you to prioritize making a comprehensive database of all mutant DNA safe, secure, redundant. We can provide you with samples you might have trouble getting on your own, including ours. And uh, and then an, another sinister like shoots this sinister, basically, and it's like, I'm the sinister that has, he says, psst, it's me, the sinister with the mutant gene. And if you must know, my mutant power is overthrowing tyrants and being absolutely fabulous. And uh, Magneto says, I can see that. And Sinister says, so we're in this together. I love the ambition. I love every bit of it. So tell me, partners, what's next for our sinful secret confederacy? And Xavier says, first, we need to begin the good work. And then I need you to forget why you're doing it and that we were even here until the day I tell you to remember. Man, oh man. And then we get a really cool infograph from Hickman called The Red Diamond, which is all the best news and gossip from Bar Sinister. Like a really cool two-page thing that are all these sinister secrets that uh, essentially he's turned Sinister into this sort of gossip queen that, uh, you know, trying to figure out all the secrets. And I was as I was reading this, I had to read a few articles myself, so I'm, I'm helping you guys out in terms of hopefully getting answers to most of these, but there's a bunch of different Sinister Secrets in here. There's a Sinister Secret 1 says, he's trying to pretend that no one noticed he was wearing red shoes, but this truly Sinister Sinister isn't fooling anyone. And uh, I read that that may be a hint at Miss Sinister because of the red shoes, no idea. And then, and speaking of fashion, the Whisper Network has turned into a roar regarding the return of this trend-setting mutant who was cut down in his prime. Will someone please tell all these mutants to stop wearing human clothes and join the stampede across their island full of flowers to the flower that's the fullest? Uh, the rumor was that this one's meant for Cyclops. I, I didn't know, I didn't know. Uh, years ago, a deceased redhead a deceased redheaded pretender made a pact with the devil when she passed on most believed that any secret she had went with her to the grave won't everyone be surprised when they find out not only is this not true but she left behind a whole lot more than secrets uh this is supposedly madeline pryor Sinister Secret 4 is, while every Sinister has been busy wondering how they might be affected by current events, almost no one noticed what washed ashore. A word of advice to all things Sinister, don't embrace the revelry or there won't be anything for you to celebrate. Uh, I don't know what that one's about, I um, and I don't think I read something about it. The next one, Sinister Secrets Revealed. Certain people are wondering where the tyrant-dispelling Sinister got his mutant gene. And while that really isn't an interesting story, whom the DNA originally belonged to is. And they reveal that. So basically, the Sinister who has a mutant gene, that mutant gene is from John Proudstar, a.k.a. Thunderbird, who is uh, from that original Giant X-Men issue number one. Uh, Sinister Secret 5 is, he's the best there is at what he does. She's married with a kid. The husband knows exactly what's going on, but who is he to the point the finger? He's up to much of the same and more. Maybe this is just the new normal on the mutant island. The rumor is that this is... Uh, 
um, surrounding uh, Cyclops and Wolverine and, and Jean Grey, the sort of love triangle. And as I'm reading all of this, I think it would be an absolute shame based on everything I'm seeing in here. My fan casting for Mr. Sinister in the Marvel Universe would be one hundred percent jeff goldblum he would be perfect for this i mean if you remember him in isle of dogs he played that dog that kept saying so uh you heard the rumor and uh they'd go what oh okay and then he'd like say some rumor and that's basically this sinister secret ish number six everyone believed that the plan of this progenarian mutant with secret sinister ties was foiled but little did the gifted ones know that the destroyed samples were switched out beforehand apparently this is in regards to strife Number seven is two brothers jumped out of a plane, and for the longest time until he was discovered, many wondered if there was a third. If we told you there were more, would you believe me? Probably not. This is in regards to the Summers brothers. Uh, Scott Summers and, ha and um, Alex Summers, the Havoc and Cyclops, were out, came out of a plane together. In the comics, we found out that they also had a third brother, Vulcan, who um, is out in space, but this is indicating maybe there was more. Uh, number eight, for years, the fittest of all mutants has routinely surrounded himself with a particularly particular numbered entourage. These hangers-on stick around for a while until they're eventually replaced with newer, more exciting num members. What most people don't know is that if the original members returned, these pretenders would be dropped so fast their heads would spin. And now that I'm thinking about it, another good fan casting for this would be, uh, what's his name? Uh, Billy Eichner. I think could be very interesting as a sinister as well. And uh, then, and so that one's in regards to Apocalypse and the four horsemen of Apocalypse. Number nine says that they say the kids are all right, but it's not all right in paradise. This non-couple couple has been apart so long, friends are expecting that when they see each other again, fireworks are going to ensue. Is the universe ready? Judging by how unprepared everyone was for what's happened so far, we kind of doubt it. That, they're saying, is in reference to Moira and Apocalypse having a relationship in Life 9. Maybe something will happen again with them, which is very possible because this next issue, House of X5, has Apocalypse on the, on the front cover. And in the Powers issue 5, uh, Mr. Sinister is on the front cover. So this is going to be moving forward for sure, especially with this final one. Or there's two, actually. We don't hear this word spoken often, so when we do, it's best to pay attention. Because when you square that circle, what, a, what took a long time to build can come crumbling down rather quickly. And then it says Inferno, which may be referring to a past story with Mr. Sinister uh, about Inferno. But then the final one, this is a big one. It says, which brainwashed mutant Sinister was replaced long before a certain bald somebody knew and has been in on the game for almost as long as the game was being played Shh. so that is indicating that professor xavier says that he's going to mind wipe sinister so that he doesn't remember but that in fact sinister does remember so that may play into something in the future as well and then boom we're back in the story so it's like you get free books when you read this comic book that was like a whole newspaper article uh but then the next one is, is x1 so the x-men it says months ago and this one is actually so cool because it's professor xavier taking cypher to krakoa to kind of show him uh, the island and have him try to translate Krakoan language. And it just, again, the, the writing in this is just so good. And I, I again, the art is, is also equally mind-blowing. Both R.B. Silva and Pepe Larraz in-house have just been killing it on the art. It's so nice to see. Krakoa is huge. But uh, we find out Krakoa kind of shares his past with Cypher. 
and uh, apparently they were Okara, one land, ancient before that world existed, but not yet old in the way that they were old. The twilight sword of the enemies tore the world asunder, and what was one became two, Arako and Krakoa, and from the chasm between them, from whatever wicked place they came, the enemy poured into this world. My first instinct when I saw this panel of the sword coming out was that it was um, all black, the necro sword, the sword of Gore the Godbusher, which in turn, though, was the sword of Null, uh, god of the symbiotes but these bad guys that i'm seeing kind of shadowed in the final panel or the other panel don't look to be symbiotes so i don't know it's interesting but what happens is apocalypse and his four horsemen come and save the day they actually save krakoa and save him from you know going out it says if not for the man who was not a man the first mutant the warrior god in blue the world would have fallen but using all his mighty powers he stood in the gap pushed Arako through the chasm, set his four to sentinel that land, and sealed the chasm shut to be open again. It was a thing that had to happen. It was. But Krakoa remains alone. A half not whole for now and forever. And Cypher says, or something like that. So he was basically translating this story from him. It's like, holy cow, man, you are good at translations. But, uh, so then he says, man, it sure is beautiful here. And this is like later on. And Professor Xavier says, I'm glad you like it. I was hoping you wouldn't mind spending some more time here on your own. And Cypher says, ah, Professor X has plans. I'm interested. And Professor Xavier says, it's better if I show you. And he takes his pith helmet off. And he says, okay, Professor Xavier does the thing, and I'm sure that he's sharing with him what Moira shared with him. Because he just goes, uh, uh, uh well, that's ambitious. And uh, Xavier says, what worth doing isn't? How long will it take? And Cypher says, phonology, syntax, I'll have to build an interface. The ecosystem's an unknown, so that'll be tricky. I don't know, months? Maybe a year if I'm terrible at this. How does that sound? Xavier tosses him a bag, like a, like a duffel bag, says, like you've got a, quite a bit of work ahead of you, young man. Best get to it. And Cypher grabs his bag and smiles. And I was like, that just was so cool. And then from there, we kind of get a little infographic of the current Krakoan systems. And then we get, and this part was kind of weird. And I'm really curious on your guys' thoughts. I will point out, I was right. And we'll see if that really pays off at the end. But we get, we jump to year 1000. We're skipping year 100. And that I think is because year 100 has been solved already. That was life nine of Moira. But essentially the librarian, those elders are, are going to ascend, ascension. They say, well, like they, they suck in this, this orb, uh, machine. And then the guy says, well, am I in there anywhere? And uh, the machine says, anywhere there in we, phalanx, am. He says, if so, then you'll know, this, you'll know the sequence as I know the sequence. And between us, we, the only two. And uh, there's a pause. And it says, there was a city on the mountain. And behind it, the sun shone brightly. And then too brightly, as it expanded to consume the city, the mountain, the world. And he says, so it worked. And it's like, and then so at this point, I'm like, okay. And it says, yes, it worked. And then someone else says, the question remains, says, yes, do you find this form, this conversion acceptable? And then the, the phalanx turns into a giant, a giant sort of machine orb. 
And the other person's like, I don't understand what happened. I was like, thank God I'm not the only one. Jeez. And so that's that's when you know there's great exposition in a story is when you have the opportunity as a writer to use the characters in the story to further that exposition. So you've got a character in here saying, I don't understand what just happened, much like most of the readers at this point don't understand what happened. So we get an explanation. The phalanx are the forerunners of the galactic empire that we believe has dominion over the entirety of the known universe. Of course, empire isn't accurate, as we believe that neither their actions nor desires are in any way imperial. It's just the only word that conveys the scale of what we're talking about. He says, well, what do they want? He says, it's not what they want, it's what they do. They have the ability to integrate any machine intelligence into their collective, after which a period of time, if that intelligence is found useful, worthy, it will eventually ascend and be a part of a greater collective subsumed into the empire. And he says, clearly we now know that they find us useful, which should be celebrated, but here you are not celebrating at all, not one bit. And it says, everything always comes down to the question of cost, doesn't it? The problem is that this method doesn't work with biological entities, right? We learned that in the prior powers issues that the phalanx is not going to absorb biology. It absorbs machines. It says, so the elder made a host machine, an empty vessel, and copied himself over to it before the phalanx absorbed it. We just confirmed that he was in there somewhere. Uh, foreboding, isn't it, librarian? That they want us, not you. That's what the little mini Nimrod says to the librarian. But guys, that's what I meant by when I said I called it. Uh, when I saw that in the beginning, them saying they wanted to ascend, my thought was, if you if you recall on that podcast, was that they wanted to upload their own consciousness into the phalanx to try and take it over or do something. And we don't necessarily know what the plan is but that's what they're doing they're doing it and it says so you're trying to trick them and she says no we don't think there's any tricking them we just hope we've found a way around the problem now we wait to see if they find it acceptable and so we'll see what that means that's the end of it and it ends with another quote says i'm afraid of what i've done but i do fear what it will one day cost there's a lot of cost in this one. There's a lot of secrets in this issue. Secrets revealed and more questions that are being asked. But I thought this was a phenomenal issue. And it's it's just to think that we still only have one, two, we have four issues left and that's it. So how the hell do we move from this to what happens in X-Men 1? Which, uh, like I said, is uh, it's a one and done sort of series that Hickman's doing. But God, whatever's going to happen in these issues is going to be insane, guys. The buildup is 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 building. I mean, even that giant fight with the X-Men in the prior issue is just buildup. We're all building to this crescendo, both during year one and then the crescendo during um, year 1000 is where we're at, right? So I, I'm almost curious if, because year zero doesn't count. That's like the buildup to year one. Year one is Moira's 10th life. So I bet you something happens, and this is going to be my call out for this episode as we wrap up. I think Moira's 10th life obviously issue one everything happens in that and whatever leads into that then leads into this year 1000 business that's going on and maybe that year 1000 that year 1000 is either moira's sixth life or that is like moira's 11th life or something like that so that we kind of get a glimpse of what's to come in the future of mutants honestly that's that's where i'm at on it those are really all the thoughts that i had on it uh, other than like i said the the writing is impeccable the way that he's characterizing magneto xavier sinister cypher krakoa every person that's been in here is just so well written 
and um, it just makes a joy to read. Hey, I, I I'm immediately driving to my comic shop every week the day the the minute that they're open to get these issues to read them. Never done. I, I I obviously was always going when they open, but now I actually want to. It's crazy because before I did this podcast, there would be weeks where I would have like one comic that comes out during the week. And so I would wait. I wouldn't even go to the comic shop. So sometimes it, it, there was one month, I think it was in June or May, where I only went to the comic shop once during that month because I I think I only had like five comics coming out and I figured I'll just get them all at once. And now with this whole Hickman thing, I'm, I'm looking forward to going to the comic shop every single week to pick these issues up and find out what's coming next in the story. That's something that I have never, I haven't felt that since Hickman last wrote comics. And um, credit to Donny Cates as well. I felt that with Donny Cates, is, is like his Venom run was great. And uh, the Death of the Inhumans had me going to the comic shop, all that stuff. But Hickman just has a way of pulling me in and really revamping things. So it's honestly, I'm I'm so happy that he's sticking around after this because I, I wouldn't know what I, I would do if he didn't, to quote Captain America. I just... Uh, I wish Hickman would write everything, and I, I know that's a very, very selfish thing to say, but um, I'm going to just be grateful that we have him, and that we have Arby Silva, and that we have um, Pepe Larraz, and, and that we have Clayton Cowles, that we that we are, that you guys, I, I know not many people know, and I certainly am not an expert on how com- comics are made, and that's why I, I sometimes like reading these director's cuts issues, because you get to see sort of what goes into making a comic. There is a lot that goes into making a comic. Even those comics that you don't like, those comics that aren't good, comics like The Black Order, those still are being made. They're still having a writer script out exactly, not just exactly what they want all of the characters to say, but they're giving, most of the time, they're giving notes to the artist. Panel one, please have Xavier uh, and Magneto look this certain way i want the i want it i want sinister to kind of have a sort of sassy look to him sort of thing and so at that point you you're getting a beautiful symbiosis between the writer and the artist because the artist is essentially creating from his mind what he thinks the writer wants and that's insane. There's there's a telepathic connection between the artists and the writers on these comic books. And so they, they write it all, they draw it all out, and the writer's like, holy cow, yes. Yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. Like, holy crap, that's that you nailed it. And then at that point, that's that's the artist is done. And then at that point, you've got a color artist who's going to come in and color in everything. And so if you like a comic book because of the vibrant colors, that's not typically, that's not because of the, the, the penciler or the guy who's drawing it. That's because of the color artist that's why i love justin ponzor so much was because his color art was just so beautiful the way that he drew it all and then from there you send off that script to vc which uh uh, I believe is virtual calligraphy. So VCs Clayton Cowles, that's, it's a company, I guess, that Marvel uses to do their letters. And then they're the ones that are writing in all those thought bubbles. They're the ones that are making, emphasizing certain words and uh, making you know things look the way that they are. It is truly a art that is so underappreciated. It's insane. You know, especially with it coming out right now, you got a thousand page book like Stephen King's all words, no pictures. Yeah, that's impossible to write. There's no way I would be able to do that unless I, you know, spent my life writing. But 
it's it's in a sense it's easy it's very hard to write i won't i'm not you know i'm not trying to downplay what a writer does it's it's very hard to write you got writer's block all that stuff but once you've written it you're done you're good boom boom books published there are so many more things that go into a comic book you're essentially writing a painting a giant 32 page painting every panel different and uh, it's just a beautiful thing, and that's why I love comic books so much. So that's a that's a tangent, but I'm just really happy to be alive right now to be able to hold. So what the point of that whole thing was? You hold this comic in your hands, whether it's digitally or physically. You are holding a labor of love from whoever that is. Yeah, some of these are are company mandated. Oh, Marvel wants an Invisible Woman series, or or Marvel wants a Black Cat series because people really like Black Cat. Great, but doesn't matter what it is the people who are making that care about it in that moment they care about it they they want to make beautiful art all of these people want to make beautiful art and so i know i know a lot of them are listening especially hickman i know donny cates listens to my stuff uh trad Moore, all those guys um and i just want to say first off thank you thank you for all that all of you have done uh, to further this medium and to take it into what I'm, I be- truly believe is the next level for comic books. We have we have transitioned to this new period of time these last few years where almost all of these comics are just kicking ass. So first off, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing and know that I love all of you and I think you guys are just doing a fantastic job. And uh, so that's going to do it for me, guys. Also, thank you to all of you for listening, for listening to the podcast. I am I think this is issue 20. It's a kind of interesting that I'm bringing this up now. This is uh, podcast uh, episode 24, which is actually my lucky number. So thank you guys so much for listening. I uh, have been doing a really good job of not really looking to see how many views or how many listens this stuff has. But I'll pop on SoundCloud and go, oh, you know, there's... So, I mean, some of these have got like 60 listens or even on the ones where there's only 20 listens. I'm just like to think that there's people out there that want to listen to what I say and uh, also not just that but care about this sort of stuff the way that I do, uh, loving on these movies, on these comics. Thank you all so much for uh, for joining me each and every time that I post these. I, I really hope you're enjoying the ride. I just want to know, trust me. And I, I'm so excited to be saying this because this is something that only famous people get to say, but I am so excited for what's in store in the future for this podcast. I have so many cool plans, and uh, it's just tough right now because obviously I've got a, I've got a day job, and I uh, I'm I'm pursuing my master's degree as well, so I'm I'm doing all that stuff, and then obviously I have a life outside of this, but. Uh, I've just got so many cool podcasts planned in the future for super fun lists and discussions and things that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. So thank you again so much for for listening, for being a part of this community that um, obviously is still in the very early stages, but uh, that those are the best times, right? The beginning is always the best time. And uh, so thank you again. I, I can't say it enough. Thank you so much. So from all of us, which is just me here at Comics and Cinema, your host, Alex Klein, thank you so much and I will talk to you guys soon.